0: Guys, I want to touch a couple things before I go into the sermon. Uh, I, I, I practice one thing, and I've always done this with sermons, but I started practicing this with testimonies. Take notes when people say testimonies. I just want to share a couple thoughts or a couple, tes- uh, a couple things that I got out of our sister's testimony. First and foremost, since racism is a, a topic right now, the least racist person that's ever walked on this planet is Jesus Christ. The second least is Satan. All right? And I love how one preacher said it. It's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. He doesn't care who you are. He wants to kill you. He wants to, to trick you, to lie to you. He wants to deceive you. That's his whole soul purpose. All right? Two things, uh, Vera, I want to th- just thank you so much because I've heard a lot of young people's testimonies. One of the greatest things she did on her testimonies, she didn't blame her sin on anyone else. How many times did you have someone walk out her and say, well, uh, the parents, the church, the judgmental, the, the culture did this to me. You know, I remember I was talking to a young man and he was living in sin. And he was blaming his issues on his mother. He was telling me this, this, and this, my mom's this, and this, this. And to be honest with you, knowing his story, he, he had a really good justification of it. But I looked at him, I said, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, do you actually think that's going to be a good enough excuse? Do you think God's going to look at you and say, you know, I understand, I'm buying your excuse. Do you actually think that's going to work? Our sin is our sin the only people who are going to be accountable for our sin before god is us accept that learn that and that's the only way you can get better is when you realize that it's yours and then the last thing that i love and i'll always take this i'm not a fan of these teachings of healing and freedom from sin when it only happens for a couple months God healed you, he freed you, but somehow you go back in there. Listen, if the Son of Man shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Period. The question is, did you ask him to free you? Or you're trying to do it on yourself, on your own? I am the first one to tell you in my life, when God set me free from sin, from certain sin, I have never gone back. Not because I didn't want to, not because, because he set me free. All sin. Our God, Jesus Christ, he is powerful enough, he is good enough, he is gracious enough to do that to you too. He is. Amen? Let's turn to scripture. I was going to do this whole thing about Moses. I was going to do chapter 3 and 4. If you have Exodus, uh, turn to chapter 3. And the second I started writing this sermon, I only got to five verses. So I'm going to read the first five verses and then we'll cover those. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to or Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw, he turned aside to see. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am, or here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou shalt stand is holy ground. Um. I don't know if you guys are familiar or you keep up with Christian news. I know a man named Bravi Zacharias who passed away a couple weeks back. And I don't know how you guys, when you study certain preachers, I like, I don't know why, I've always had a season, whenever I like somebody, an author, a preacher, I will engulf myself with them until I am sick of them. I don't know why. I will study their stuff. I'll read their material until I can't know more. Or it becomes repetitive. All right? If I can read, if I can, and I remember it was like, Four or five years ago, I just moved here. I had this whole infatuation and love for Ravi Zacharias. And if I can state his whole life or his whole purpose of what he did or his theme of everything he did, his whole ministry is, what is your purpose for life? You know? Why are you here? I'm going to go a little deeper, and he always touched on this why did Jesus Christ die for you? I know we can say the easy answer of love, but I want you to ask yourself personally, why? What's your purpose? Why are you alive? Why are you here tonight? Why are you in the family? Why are you in the church? Why do you profess Christ? And I want to talk about Moses and I want to talk about his life in here, because this is true for me, you know, uh, understanding the value of who we are you know what the greatest thing about Christianity is is we understand the value of life that's why we're pro pro pro-life against murder against anything like that not because we're worth something but the price that was paid for us is worth something our value what I'm worth listen I am worth everything because of who Christ is because he paid for me not because I have a talent not because I have something to offer, but the wealth and worth in Jesus Christ is my price tag. And I want to kind of paint you a picture. I'll never forget. There was a season I was living next to my cousins. And uh, they, we all worked. You know, we all did side jobs. We mowed the lawn. We collected a little money here and there. Um, I was never good with money, you know. If I had $20, somehow I was in debt $22 later that day. I don't know. It never worked for me. It never clicked. My cousins on the other side, if they had 21, by tomorrow they had 25. Somehow more money appeared. I don't know. They were good with their money. They saved up their money. We worked all summer mowing people's lawns for for sure illegal wages, you know, like $3 an hour, you know. But that being said, we collected money. I had nothing. He had like $150, my cousin. I somehow convinced my parents to buy me a bike, So they did. You know, it was my birthday. I guilted them in, you know, this and this and this. I was good for like a week. And then I'm like, I was good for a week. Buy me something. So they did. They bought me a bike. My cousin could not. His parents said, no way. That's, I think, where he got the frugalness. So he bought it with his own money. What's interesting, by the time New Year came, my bike was junky, broken, not taken care of. His was just like new. He would wash it. He would talk to it. You know, say good things to it. He, because he paid for it. He knew its worth. He knew the value of it. I didn't know. I didn't put one dollar of my own money into it. I didn't understand the value. And my problem is so many young people who go to church, they don't understand their value. And they don't understand the price that was paid for them. That is why we live such foolish lives. Because we don't understand the price that was paid. I'm telling you, the heaviest, most expensive price ever in the history of the world was paid for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. He paid for you. He paid it all. More than all the wealth in the world, more than all the gold, he paid for you. And I want to show you an example of who, Jesus, uh, who was through Moses, what he went through. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times we read... Uh, about characters, these men, these great men and women of God in the Bible. And we, it's, what's hard for us is we don't, wanna, we don't know how to relate to them. So my goal today is somehow to relate Moses to, to you guys, to me. You know, studying his character, it's crazy how many things we have in common with him. I'm going to read the first verse, and I want you guys to look at it. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. All right. I want you guys to look at the words. Moses kept the flock. Moses kept the flock. Okay. Look at that phrase and think about that phrase. One of the biggest issues we have in our culture, and it's only getting worse and more prevalent, is our image, our self-image. The importance of our self-image. Okay, now think about the history of Moses. All right, there's a really interesting documentary out there. It's called, uh, I think it's called Excavating Exodus. It it, it came out. Uh, What's interesting, if you ever listen to it or watch it, it's like a documentary for an hour and a half. The guy came out, he's neutral. Actually, even worse, he's more on the atheist side and there's men with him. And they do a 12-year study in Exodus because the big debate is Moses never existed. You don't see him in the history of Egypt and this. And they started digging around and they started looking for stuff. Pretty much at the end of 12 years, they proved to the whole world that Moses was real. That you could see it in the history of Egypt, in the hieroglyphs, in the history of the nations. They proved the time period and everything. They didn't try to, but God's faithful and they did. To the point where the guy who did this whole documentary became a believer because of this. But what's interesting is when you look at Moses, when he be, grew up the first 40 years of his life, he was like the, the hot guy in town. He was successful. He went to the greatest university in the greatest time period, in the, the most knowledgeable time period. Think how smart Egypt was. To this day, we don't know how the, uh, the uh, periods were built. To this day, we built stadiums, we built everything, but we don't know how they did it. Their chemistry was so far more advanced than ours. They embalm a person, and the guy looks good after 3,000 years. We don't know how to do that. To this day, we can't figure it out. He went to the best universities. He was a leader. He, he, He was a prince. He had a great career, a good job. I'm sure they paid him well. His image was great. We all strive for that. Amen? We all want a good job. We want to look good. And if you don't believe me, I'll go on your social, social not social security, social media. I, I, I don't have anything. So this is like Spanish to me. But we all want to look good. Do we not? Who doesn't? Raise your hand. Yeah, right. We had one. He goes to my youth. He's not your Slava Christian Center. I'll rebuke him later. <laughs> but what's interesting is when you read that, think about what I just read. Think about it. Moses kept a flock. Do you know the worst job you can have in Egypt? Shepherd. To the point where it says in Egypt that they despised them. They hated that. They couldn't live next to a shepherd. He went from being top guy to being having the worst, most embarrassing. Think about the most embarrassing job you can have and and then multiply them. That's what Moses went to. What's interesting to me in my life is I have two things in common with Moses. Extremely loud and obnoxious. Moses is extremely loud and obnoxious. How I know that because after three months, his mother couldn't hide him because he was so loud and obnoxious. That's where she sent him out on the little casket or the basket or whatever you want to call it. You know, I always wondered back in the day, what are the best qualifications to be a speaker? It's not that they're a good speaker. You just have to be loud. You know, Moses spoke to over two million people and they heard him. All right. The second was the embarrassment of image. All right. And I've never shared this before. When I went to Florida, when, I mean, when I lived in Florida, I was an investment banker. I had a great job. I had beautiful offices. I was a somebody. I really was. I wore nice suits. People were impressed by me. People always asked me advice. People loved talking to me because I could talk to them. And I moved here, and I started working as a clerk at a Russian store. You know how hard it was for me to talk to my friends in Florida? And they said, well, what are you doing over there now? I would admit, I, I would lie. Well, I don't know yet, I'm in between careers. <laughs> because my image, my image was shattered. I worried about how people perceived me. I, to be honest, I worried about that more than what God worried about. Listen, you want to find out your purpose in God, you want to find out your call calling, your ministry, stop worrying about what people think about you. Stop worrying about your perception Your success, how much you know, what you know. I went from a master's, uh, two bachelor's degree, beautiful office overseeing the ocean to literally canning, putting stuff up in uh, in the store. Trust me, the pay difference was huge too. I couldn't lie about that. But I know one thing. God did it for his benefit, for his purpose, for his glory. Because I got to a point where it was so embarrassing, I had nothing to show off. I had no boasts in me. All I, I just stopped showing myself off and I said, started saying how great Jesus is. Like it literally changed that. It used to be I, me, I, well I learned this in my education or I can debate this. What do you know? You know, I'm fumbling millions of dollars for people, you know. Now I'm fumbling cans. So the question is I have you first and foremost. What is your image? Why are you worried about your image and where do you want to go with that? When people look at you, do they say, wow, God speaks to that person. He is filled by the living God, the Holy Spirit. Or What do they say about you? What do you want them to say about you? Because I know one thing. Moses had to deal with that. Think about coming back 40 years later. All his friends, the people he grew up with, the princes, the, the, the successful people. They looked at him. He was a nobody. He was a shepherd. The worst of the worst. Would that bother you if you lost all that? How would you perceive that? How would you accept that? If God was willing to take all that away from you, would you be okay? The problem is most of us won't. That is why God doesn't use us. That is why we'll never figure out our, our purpose. What God wants for you, what he really wants for you, is because we are not willing to give up our image We're not willing to give up our dreams, what we desire. We're not. And here's the truth. My dreams and my desire was good. I had no evil there. I wanted to serve in the church, be super rich, have a family. You know, that was my dream. I I, I don't see anything wrong with that. But the million-dollar question is, if God wants that God in your life, are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to ruin your image for the glory of God? Let's go to point two. Verse 2. And this is, I would say, if you're going to get anything out of this whole thing, this is going to be the most important. I want to read verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, there's a lot of debate of what this represents or who the angel of the Lord is. Most theologians lean on the pre-incarnated Christ. And because of this bush, the bush was with fire and the bush was not consumed. Okay? One of the biggest issues I see with young people is, is their knowledge of or image, personal. I'm not talking about what Ilya said or what Dennis said or whatever preacher or what Ravi Zachariah says. Their personal image of who Christ is in their life. That's the biggest issue I have. And why I say this is I've been a born-again believer for nine years. It took me four years to figure out who Jesus Christ was in my life personally. I could explain to you what every preacher I listened to thought of him, but I couldn't explain to you what Ilya thought of him, or perceived him to be in my life. Alright, here's the question I have for you. Who is Jesus Christ in your life? Now, if I have to get off right now, I have a live mic, I can walk up to you right now and ask you, can you explain to me it is, and I love how one preacher said, if you have to explain the gospel or if you have to explain who Christ is in your life, you should take a feather, you should drop the feather and before the feather hits the ground, you should be able to explain it. Can you do that? Don't nod because I will come to you and I'll put you up here and I'll make you say it. Who is Jesus Christ to you? I remember I was asked to to speak on a topic, uh, if you, if you want to follow me, Christ said to his disciples, you first deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. All right? I'm probably butchering the verse. But I'll never forget, uh, I brought up the topic to like a whole bunch of men, godly men, uh, ministers, ordained ministers. And I asked them, what is your cross? You know, and it was such a, a rainbow of answers, you know. And I realized one reason why we don't know what it means to pick up our cross. Because of the first part, and I think God had to preach about it's called denying yourself. We don't do that. All right. I love how one, this is the only good answer i ever had. The cross is up there, right? On the, on the ceiling. Think about the cross. Uh, you always see that it's popular to wear the, the necklace with the cross. Think of what the cross represented in human terms. I dare you to go on, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Find a little miniature electric chair that they use for, for killing people and wear it around your neck. That's what it represents, the cross. Capital punishment represents murder. That's what it represents. I'm not going to talk about that. That's a different sermon or anything. But the reason most of us young people, we don't understand this is because the truth of the matter is we don't understand who Jesus Christ is in our lives. I don't know why I've been having this weird season in my life of, um, how can I explain this? Questioning everyone's salvation. I'm serious. I had a young man who went to my youth, and I think I've shared this with you. He went there for a whole year, all right? He was great. He was wonderful. He said the things he needed to say. He said all the wonderful things. He had the greatest testimonies to the point where I'm like, amen, brother, keep preaching. He leaves to Everett, his home or wherever. He, he, he goes home. He overdoses and dies. And after that, I don't know why, I have this thing where I want to question everyone's salvation. To the point where I'd rather question and be wrong than tell you you're saved and be wrong. I'm on that side. And we can laugh for however you want. But listen to me. The Bible's very clear. Okay. The Bible's very, very clear. Better that you question it and doubt it because God is faithful. It has, it's, it's extremely, if you study it, it says this, you doubt, you have problems, God is faithful, he'll answer. But how many times does it talk about people who thought they were saved and they weren't? Talks about that too. Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We did miracles in your name. Depart from me. I have never known you, you workers of iniquity. But what's interesting to me was, I'm still in this season. I, I've been thinking and talking about it for two months. Man, I've questioned a lot of people, you know, and I'm, I'm like very adamant. I'm like, you're not saved. You don't know the Lord. Nope. You know, and I wondered, and, and you know what? God revealed to me, and he showed me that what I was doing, the motive was right, but the... the The direction and the thought and the words I was saying were wrong. Okay? Because most people I attacked, they went through a hardship in their life and they fell back into sin. You know, I attacked a man who went through a hardship with his child and went back into sin. And this is how God revealed to me. The problem is not your salvation. That's not the conversation. The problem is who Jesus Christ is in your life. You go through a hard season in your life. The girl doesn't like you. The boy doesn't like you. Something happens in your family. Some death happens in your family. Where do you go? What do you do? Who do you run to? That's going to tell me more about your life, who Jesus is in your life, than anything else. When hardship happens, who do you run to? Now, we can debate the salvation question all day long. The big question is who Jesus Christ is in your life. Because you can pronounce, you can profess, you can sit here and do worship, choir, you can do whatever you want. You will never, ever be affected for God until, listen, until you know who Jesus Christ is in your life. Think about this. Look, I'm going to keep reading. Think about what Moses did. He saw this. Watch. I'm going to read verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn now aside and see this great sight. He sees this bush, it is not consumed. Think about this. Trials come in your life. You trust in Christ, you're not going to be consumed. What happens is, you don't trust Christ, you're going to be consumed. By some kind of sin, some worldly thing, you're going to leave the church. Everyone here knows somebody who left because of some reason. I don't care what their excuse was. They left. What I love is Moses is so attracted by this. He's like, I want to go there. I want to go to see this great sight. You know, we talk about some of the questions that were brought up about division and racism and and should we be on this side or this side. Listen to me. The issue in America is the church. No one looks at the church and says, look at that great site. Let's go over there. Ask yourselves, are you one of those people? Do people look at you and say, man, that's a man or woman of God. He is filled by the living God. I want to go talk to him. I want to tell him my problems. I want to show everything to him. I want to talk to him. I just want to be around him. And what's interesting is we all know people like that. There are people at your youth, at our youth, that you can just see people want to talk to. They want to take them out to lunch. I love how my pastor, he always, this is how he compares pastors. He's like, if I want to go out to lunch with him, I think he's a godly man, you know. There are certain godly people that we run away from. Do we not? The question is, are you that person? Do people come up to you? Do they want to pray with you? Do they want you to actually pray for them? The only way you can get to that point in your life is when you realize who Jesus Christ is in your life. Now, I don't have a formula. I thought I would give you a formula of how to come to Christ, how to know him. But it's a personal revelation. My personal revelation can't be your personal revelation. Dennis's personal revelation cannot be your personal revelation. It starts with a desire, a wanting to know this person, this Savior, this Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? How do you know him? Who is he in your life? Because once trial comes, I'm not a prophet, but I'm prophesying right now. You will have hard times in your life. I promise you. Especially in the time we're living with. I love it. I got some good wagers in my my youth. You got 50 years and I get punched in the face if we're still here. (laughs) 48 now, right, Isaac? So I honestly think I'm going to overtake him anyways. But the bottom line is, youth, you can say what you want. Think about the time we're living. It's such a wonderful time. It's scary, but it is wonderful. You will have trial in your life. You will have a point where you're going to have to choose Christ or not. And if you don't know who Christ is in your life, I can assure you that you're not going to choose him. You will go this way. You will go the wrong way. And I'm not saying this. The Bible says this. For many, the love will grow cold. Why? Because we don't know. We don't know Christ that way. Ask yourselves that question. That is the most important question you'll ever ask. More important than career, more important than education, more important than marriage. Who is Jesus Christ in your life? Can you answer that in a real, personal way? Not in a way that I told you. I can. I'm not going to share you so you can take my notes. I want you to figure that out. Amen? Let's go to the next verse. Verses 4 and 5, and I want to read them. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, and God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Mo- Moses. And he said, here I am, or here am I. And he said, draw not, thine, not nigh thither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place wherein thou so standeth is holy ground. Okay. What's interesting here is. Uh, Raise your hand if you can explain to me what's holy or the definition of holy. I don't want you to say, I just want you to raise your hand if you know. I will not put you on the spot. If you know personally what it is. All right, I'm going to give you the best definition. Separated. Separation. Holy is separation. Now raise your hand and say if you know what holy means. Everybody raise your hand. Okay. Here's the interesting thing is most theologians I ask and I say, what is holy? And almost... All of them know what it means. Here's the million dollar question is what is unholy? What is unholy? What is unholy in your life? See, that's a huge, huge underlying issue in our generation. Incredibly huge. We don't have a definition in our lives what is unholy, a personal definition. Well, look, I can't speak for everyone. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I do. I have two slots. Holy, unholy. And until God shows me that it's holy, it stays in the unholy slot. We laugh about it, but what's interesting is when God talks about this verse right here, he says, thou stand on holy ground. He's not talking about some philosophy. He's not talking about some deep thought. Talk. He's talking about something tangible, ground. It's something that he's standing on. It's real. You can feel it. You can touch it. I always wondered if this holy ground had rocks or shells on there, you know? You ever walk on, like, something shelly or it was, like, soft sand or anything because it was holy ground? You're like, you know? I don't know. I I, I think like that. I was just like, man, I I wonder what holy ground looks like. You know, is it, like, beach sand? Is it rocks? Is it cement or anything like that? Why I bring this up today and today and more and more and more, what we do is we live a life, we do what we want, and we take scripture to justify our lives. Okay, let me give you an example. And I'm, I'm not picking sides or choose. If you want to talk to me about this after, I would love to talk with you about it. Okay, 10 years ago, if a guy ever came out here and said even alcohol is neutral, he would get thrown off the stage. Raise your hand if you've ever heard about an al- uh, a sermon about alcohol that it's okay. No, honestly, personally. Do you see the problem? You know, you guys, the debate, I remember a, a young guy came from this church and, and he's, for alcohol and he's giving me scripture and scripture and scripture and scripture. And I stopped and I said, you see that old man that sits in the office of there, over there? He's a wonderful man. He's a man of God. His name is Pastor Peter Sanka. He's the head pastor. He's the senior pastor. I believe, as much as I believe in Jesus Christ, the same faith I believe that he made him the senior pastor of this church. He believes it's sin. That's the end of this theological question. That's the end of the theological debate. Period. Because the senior pastor says it's sin. That's it. Done. Done zone. End of the conversation. If you're drinking, you're sinning. I can give you more verses in the Bible that talk about rebelliousness than alcohol. Period. Good or bad. And I'm giving you one example. See, the problem with our generation, and I love this about the old generation. The biggest respect I have about the elder generation is they read a verse and they said, you know, maybe I don't know the Greek translation, but I'm going to take it by faith. What it says, I'm going to live by it. We want to dig deeper, deeper, figure it out. If it's not on our side, we'll make it on our side. We'll find verses to back up our lifestyle. When was the last time you read something in the Bible and you said, you know what, I'm going to take it the way it is? better better that you take something by faith live it in your life and be wrong but you're firm Than go here and back here and back here and back because that's our generation we're wishy-washy we're like the tree blown in the wind because we never made a definition in our lives of what is unholy what is sin in your life think about this what you watch raise your hand if you don't watch tv at all, no YouTube, nothing. Oh, dude, that's an easy debunk. All right, what do you watch? What do you watch? It's okay. He's the first. I'm not. He he's too young to come out and repent. <laughs> he doesn't know. He's sanctified by our, our brother Sergi. That man is going. The little man's in heaven as we speak. <laughs> all right. But why I talk about this is, you no. Know, ask yourselves. Who knows the show Friends? Who knows the show Office? Is it a sin? (laughs) Don't speak, please. Rhetorical question. No, I'm asking you personally is it a sin? Is it a sin in your life? What is sin in your life? What about music? Where do you draw the line in your life and music? You know? This is a per- listen guys I'm not talking like a group or a church or what I'm right I'm beginning to learn that my personal conviction is my personal conviction but it's very clear the bible's very clear everyone be convinced in your own mind The problem is we're not convinced in our own mind whoever comes up in the pulpit convinces us That's the sad part We don't have a conviction in our life about what we watch and what we do If this guy's doing it we're okay cuz he he he's he's a leader in the church Learn to make boundaries in your life. Learn to have two boxes. Holy, unholy. That's it. And here's the, the only advice I'll give you personally. If you don't know, put it in the unholy box. Better that it is unholy till it becomes holy than holy and then you find out it's not holy. Try that in your life. Look at everything. What you watch. Who you talk to. Where you go. What you do. What you listen to. is huge, huge what you listen to. You can say whatever you want. Music influences all society. All culture It influences. I don't know, like, I've heard some Christian songs. I call them Christian songs. Like, I wouldn't listen to that when I wasn't Christian, you know, let alone now. Again, be convinced in your own mind. But at least by God's grace, be convinced. Quit having someone else convince you. Let the Holy Spirit do it for you in your life. That's all I want you to know. Listen, personally, who Christ is in your life. Quit worrying about how you look and then be convinced in your own mind. Those are three things that Moses had to go through, that we go through, before he could take two million people and lead them by the grace of God. So the question is will you do that? Are you willing to be that person? I'm not saying you're going to become some president. I hope we do get some presidents out here. I don't think you guys are that bad of a crowd. There's way worse, I'll tell you that. All right? But the bottom line is, the bottom line is, what about your family? How, what kind of mother are you going to be? What kind of father are you going to be? What kind of husband and wife are you going to be? What kind of person are you going to be in the group of crowds or your friends in school? Will you be more like Moses or are you going to be worried about how you look? Can you tell someone about Christ in your life? And literally a drop of a feather. I can. By God's grace, I can. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. Listen, I don't know you. I don't know your lives. I know a lot of my youth. It's amazing how I don't leave for that long, and it's like a whole new youth. Listen, the biggest question is who Christ is in your life. If you don't know, if you can't answer that right now, I question your salvation. Yeah, I told you I'm trying not to question, but I question it because... How do you know who, if you don't know Christ is? How can you say you're saved if you don't know who Christ is in your life? We're going to pray. If you want to come up, we'll pray with you. You don't have to come up on stage. You can come out here. We'll pray with you. Dennis will pray with you. Uh, my brother Danny will, Andre, Peter. These brothers will come and pray for you. All right? If you don't know who Christ is, the only thing you have to do, this is the only qualification. He says, ask, seek, and you'll find. That's all you need. There's no edification. There's no uh, reading a certain book. There's nothing I can give you. All you have to do is ask Jesus Christ to come in your life. Ask Him. Ask Him, like, Lord. Have you ever asked that in your life? Reveal Yourself to me. Show Yourself to me. I want to know You. That's all you have to ask, and I promise you, as the Lord is my witness, and by the Holy Spirit, if you ask with a sincere heart, He will open. If you doubt in your life right now, He will make it, because it is not our faith; it is His faith. He's the one that's faithful. If you want to come out, we'll pray with you. Let's pray.